Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Plain. M-I-P. With Masamela Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, always a pleasure to have with us our friend from Guns Down America, Igor Volsky. Even though the... Uh, subject matter is not always pleasurable we have got to do something about this gun violence epidemic what i've been calling a a pistol demic along with the pandemic and the police demic and and it is real because as igor has said and he'll highlight again today how the gun sales have gone up in the pandemic Uh, what is that really all about and also what impact does this have on uh police violence as well. So we need to get in uh, to all of this Supreme Court case coming up as well. Some good news, too, as we disclosed the last time we chatted and Pastor Mike was here also. Some good news, too, on the um, uh, from the Biden administration in terms of funding to help prevent gun violence. So let's get in um, to all of it with our friend Igor Volsky. Igor, how are you, man? I'm all right, Mark. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, just talking out loud and introducing, I'm sitting up here thinking, because I was doing something the other day on climate change. You, you have to fig- you just kind of figure out which is, which one are you going to be most concerned about on a given day? You know, the, the, the rapidity of climate change and what it's doing to us and or what guns are doing. Um, and everything else we want and fight and strive for won't matter if we're either endangered by climate change or endangered by gun violence every time we walk out our front door. Um, so it's a lot. But but talk to our audience. Um, uh, you and I have been in, in a conversation and are going to try to bring others into the conversation about the impact the proliferation of guns even has in 
this issue of police violence and doing something about police violence. Yeah, well, uh, thanks, Mark. Let me just first say on the climate parallel that uh, we're in a place now in America where we weren't 10 years ago, right? Our leaders now are taking the threat of climate change seriously. The administration is addressing the issue in a comprehensive way. Uh, the administration has multiple high-level appointees. You think of Senator Kerry, uh, you think of others in the administration who are planning an across-government, across-agency approach to deal with the very real threat of climate change, and they should be commended for it. Um, but I think that they should also adopt a very similar approach to the public health crisis of gun violence in this country. Uh, the same kind of attention, the same kind of proactive focus that uh, digs into all of the intricacies uh, of, of this issue and abandons the old way of dealing with this problem reactively only after a mass shooting. And as you note, the president started to move in that direction when he uh, he took existing grant dollars um, and appropriated them to be used on community-based violence intervention programs, when he included a $5 billion investment in his jobs plan to help support evidence-based community programs that have been reducing gun violence in cities across the country. Those are all great steps. But as the president uh, has said, as his administration has repeatedly said, they know they need to do more. And so, Mark, when the president addresses the country, uh, the joint session of Congress tomorrow, uh, I expect, fully expect, uh, and what I want to hear is a comprehensive plan, his vision for tackling this crisis. And as you mentioned, that also uh, includes the police component as well. Because what we know about police violence in America uh, is that we have, as a nation, the highest number of civilians dying at the hands of police uh, across the world as compared to our peer nations, right? The question is, why is it happening? And what can we do to prevent it? Um, Part of the reality that we face, along with implicit bias and systemic racism that we're seeing, you know, on full display across the country and have seen from law enforcement voices for generations and generations and generations. But what we're also seeing in the police uh, policing issue is a reflection of the toxicity of America's gun culture, right? Because as you know, Mark, there have been so many instances where police have mistook uh, a toy gun for a weapon uh, and killed that individual, right? Thinking of Tamir Rice, uh, where they've uh, mis mistaken, right? Allegedly uh, a phone for a weapon uh, and killed that individual. And part of why that keeps on happening is that in addition to the race challenges that we face and the racism uh, that you know flows through these systems is a real gun problem. Because in a country that has more guns than people, 
police are constantly worried that the individual that they're encountering could have a weapon more guns than people, right? 400 million guns in civilian hands. So what I've been arguing is that as we reimagine our public safety budgets so they reflect the value of black and brown lives, um, so that they begin to move away from this idea that every kind of emergency response has to include a firearm and has to include an individual who is armed. We know that it doesn't, right? We know that most uh, encounters that police have today uh, could get out uh, at the hands of people who actually have better training to deal with those issues. Um, but as we continue to work to get all of those pieces in place and enact those changes, we must also really re-examine the role that our country's lax gun laws have on this issue, because we've seen time and time again, study after study, tell us that there's a correlation between weak gun laws and police violence, that in states in this country where guns are easier to get, where there are higher rates of gun ownership, you see higher instances of police violence, you see higher instances of officer-involved shootings. And so it's time that we think about this issue comprehensively and that we don't, as we tend to do, think about police issues here and our gun violence here. It's all part of the same problem. Yeah. By the way, folks, we want to tell you about a captivating podcast called All Revved Up distributed by GBH, the All Revved Up Podcast explores the intersections of faith, politics, and culture. It's a bi-weekly podcast hosted by the Reverend Irene Monroe, who's been a frequent guest and a good friend of the R Show, Make It Plain, and also by the Reverend Emmett G. Price III. The Revs who hail from different Black faith perspectives, generations, parts of the country, and are of different sexual orientations come together to talk about the issues of the day in a different way. Listen to All Revved Up wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after these messages. Lord knows that the gun lobby has t exploited the compartmentalization yeah. of gun you know, I mean, literally, we what we do as Americans. We see mass shootings over here. We see um, gun violence and the gun accidents in the homes over here. Um, we see street street level gun related violence over here, and we see police violence. And that's about four categories I just named off the top of my head. They probably could be split up into two or three more. Yeah. Uh, and and that that's hard for lack of a better analogy and unfortunately it's hard to to nail down that those moving targets when everything's all over the place so i think well, you know but the central piece here mark is the gun right it's the recognition that firearms are innately dangerous in almost anybody's hands right the the police issue exposes the reality that even the best trained individuals in our society who are uh, responsible for keeping us safe, misuse their firearms time and time and time and time again. Yeah, Part of yeah. that is, of course, the systemic biases that have existed in the system for generations against black and brown communities. But part of that 
is the recognition that firearms themselves, the ability to use deadly force, this, this cultural notion that law enforcement is not immune from, that having a gun is really what makes you a true man, that is really what makes you really tough. All of that, you know, really contributes to the problem. You know, you're absolutely right. That That is absolutely the case. Gun sales have gone up even in the midst of these this record string of mass shootings to begin 2021. Right. Yeah. Well, so I'm I'm in D.C. where gun homicides have increased by 22 percent from where they were last year. And in 2020, we saw a 17 year high in the amount of homicides in this city. I can't tell you, Mark, the number of sirens I hear on a daily basis, the gunshots I hear on a daily basis. Uh, It's really quite remarkable and it's not unique to DC. Cities across the country are experiencing double digit spikes in, uh, in gun homicides. And that doesn't even get at what's happening uh, with suicides across the country. So, you know, this is a, a real problem. And this is, I think, another reason why the president really owes us a comprehensive vision and plan for getting uh, gun reform, community investments across the finish line before the end of the year, because people are dying in higher numbers from gun violence than they were when he was on the campaign trail. And you and I talked, you know, even last year about the spike in gun sales uh, as well. Almost makes you wonder. um, Well, we know we know Trump's impact on that. Um, But as you alluded to, uh, and we've talked about this um, extensively before, the the cultural relationship Americans have with guns, particularly men, it's related to manhood we could we remember even gun ads uh that promoted you know uh masculinity being related to to gun ownership it almost makes you wonder whether there's some cultural thing that says well hey maybe we need guns to fight the pandemic or to fight covid i don't know it's it but it's just it, it's this false notion of uh of safety and i don't well, know and, and, and frankly mark part of it is maybe we need guns to fight black people. Um, and I'm not just saying that as some, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, provocative statement. We saw in early June of 2020, and you'll remember this was at the height of the George Floyd protest that swept the country, right? A significant spike in gun sales during that week. Now, part of those sales were obviously for different reasons, right? Um, but, but at least some of them uh, were a result, I think, of what was happening in the country of uh, of Americans uh, going out and, and and protesting against the unfair and unjust systems that exist, and folks who benefit from those current systems, right? The systems that keep them in power and keep others out of power. Some number of them armed up. Yeah, that no, you you're right. With all of that in mind, we also have an an upcoming case before the Supreme Court, too, don't we? Oh, yeah, Mark, this is uh, a real challenge. Um, And I say that because since 2008, the Supreme Court, in our understanding of the Second Amendment, was that 
there is an individual right to gun ownership for self-defense within the confines of the home. That has been the consensus upon which courts across the country have upheld almost all gun regulations um, over the last decade. And what this case threatens to do is to really upend that balance and potentially say for the first time in American history that the Second Amendment actually gives Americans far more expansive rights to take their guns outside of the home and bring them into public spaces. And if they invent that right within the Second Amendment, a right, by the way, that our country has a history of uh, regulating arms outside of the home, mm -hmm. uh, a history that dates back to the founding of this country, where the early colonies imposed all kinds of restrictions on firearms outside of the home in the interest of public safety. If the Supreme Court overturns that history and invents a new right to carry assault weapons and handguns and pistols um, into public spaces, that could A, greatly endanger public safety and B, lead to the downfall of so many gun safety laws in our states and on the federal level because as you know, there's now probably a majority on the court yeah. uh, to, to make that happen. Yeah, six to three. And you know, I'm sure you like me have been following the news or, or the analysis that uh, you know, even though the NRA has been losing elections along with Republicans, what McConnell and others have done is they have been the ones to really pack the courts yeah. uh, to the point where the Republicans and the NRA uh, may not need legislatures as much anymore because they have so much control of the courts, including and primarily the Supreme Court. Um, so, yes, this would be a very, very dangerous precedent. And we've not um, seen the Second Amendment this um, close to being under attack since I believe it was was it the Heller decision. Yeah, the Heller decision in 2008 also invented a right to individual gun ownership. It was a right that the court rejected, I think, six or seven times in the right. past until right. 2008 when it suddenly uh, uh, found itself, I suppose, in their eyes, at least, in the amendment. Yeah, yeah. So we have to watch. Uh, how soon will that case be heard? You know, sometime this year, I'm not sure of the of the timing. And of course, you know, you can expect um, our movement, Americans across the country, uh, uh, really, uh, I think, sending a clear message uh, to the court, um, as we have on so many issues in the past. And you and I, uh, of course, uh, discussed what feels like so many years ago, uh, the efforts to preserve the Affordable Care Act uh, before the Supreme Court. But we're going to need to mount a similar kind of campaign to send a clear message to, 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 to our justices that Americans want to make sure that the balance between gun rights and public safety is preserved. Yeah. More MIP after this message. 
the New York gun law restricts the ability to carry concealed handguns. Now, in states like Texas, it's gone all out to open carry, right? In, in yeah, Texas. Yeah, 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 that's right. States, states uh, have across the country have different laws uh, when it comes to your ability to carry guns outside of the home. And New York is one of 13 states, Mark, that has some kind of licensing structure, right, that requires an individual to not only undergo a background check, but to also show that they can use the weapon uh, they intend to purchase. And so what we've seen with those states uh, is that those laws, those kinds of licensing laws, have been associated with significant reductions in homicide, with significant reductions in suicide. Um, New York, in particular, has the second lowest gun deaths in the country. I believe Massachusetts is the first, although it might be New Jersey. They go back and forth. Um, and so uh, these laws work. Uh, we know they do. Um, and so, you know, that's just just one more reason um, why when the justices look at this case, uh, it's going to be so important for them to balance the interests of the community at large, uh, rather than simply focus on the fact that, you know, the threshold for obtaining an unrestricted license in New York is high, but it's high because that's in the interest of literally keeping New Yorkers alive. And I applaud the Biden administration for appointing a commission to examine the possibility of expanding the Supreme Court. Uh, yeah. I, I did not think he was going to do that, but he did it. 48 hours after pledging the 5.3 billion in gun violence prevention. I mean, it was like the, the, the perfect storm for me because that's really where this has to go ultimately. And some had argued that the very notion of court expansion would put this court in check because the Roberts probably does not want that. Um, but you really have no choice with, this, with these types of, of radical things coming before the court and no assurance that the majority is going to do what you said and act in the best interests of everyone in the country. Yeah, and we know these are ideological justices who were put on the court because of the ideology they hold, right? Not because they are able to be these neutral arbiters of what's, what's best for uh, the population. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Also, another good thing, so it is the Biden-Harris administration holding to its campaign pledge to prevent firearms industry to continue to be protected from lawsuits? Well, look, the president, while campaigning uh, in February of 2020, I believe, uh, promised that on his first day in office, he would send a bill to the Congress repealing the special protections that uh, both gun manufacturers and gun dealers have for most forms of legal liability. And what that means is a manufacturer or a dealer can't be held accountable for knowingly producing incredibly dangerous weapons um, that you know are often um, uh, used, as we know, to kill large numbers of Americans or that dealers can't be held liable for selling thousands of rounds of ammunition to 
um, an individual without so much as checking their license. That's actually what happened, uh, you'll remember, in Aurora, Colorado during the 2012 shooting in June uh, around the, ba the Batman movie. And so it's really created this atmosphere where we are prevented and survivors are prevented from using the courts to push the industry to do better. They can't compete on safety because there's no incentive. And so what they've been competing on is making weapons of ever increasing lethality that are killing more and more people more efficiently. And it's part of the reason why we've seen gun deaths steadily increase in this country over the last decade, frankly. Um, and so, uh, you know, I hope uh, that the president who uh, said as recently as a couple of weeks ago, that repealing the special immunity that uh, was signed into law in 2005 by then President George W. Bush, that that is uh, his, a priority of his. And that's frankly what I hope to hear, not only his commitment to repealing, a to repealing the law that's known as PLACA, but to also clearly communicate to the American people that this is not a priority in name only, that he will give this issue the same kind of focus and push that he gave to COVID relief, that he's now giving to infrastructure investment, that this is no less a priority than, than those two things. And, you know, Mark, we hear a lot from folks talking about how, well, he doesn't have 60 votes, right? So what are you going to do? Joe Manchin's in the way. He doesn't have 60 votes. What can he possibly do? And my answer to that is that is not a dynamic that's unique to the gun crisis. It's a dynamic he faces for his entire agenda. Yet this president, through his leadership, through his work with the Senate majority leader, has been able to find credible paths forward to navigate the unanimous opposition he's facing from Republicans, right? So when something is a priority for him, he can find a way to get it across the finish line. And I'm arguing that the crisis of gun violence deserves the same kind of presidential attention and commitment that those other also important issues have received. Yeah, yeah very important. And you're right, it, it does uh, deserve that attention. About 4,500, more than 4,500 gun deaths already this year in America, over 100 uh, mass shootings, 8,100 gun injuries, the list goes on and on. Um, we must do something about this culture. And the more I do um, um, international press and interviews, uh, I mean, people around the world ask me, so what is going on over there? What are you all, have you noticed that? And, yep, and I get the same question, yeah. <laughs> what, we don't How know. have you guys not solved this yet, right? Yeah, yeah. And and so it's, it's we got to do something, folks. Guns Down America is doing it. So please uh, get involved. Go to gunsdownamerica.org, uh, gunsdownamerica.org. Add your name to the petition to President Biden. The time is now. And obviously he wants to do some things, but presidents need a little help, y'all. They, they need us to, to get behind them and help push them. Uh, and at times even give them cover. Uh, you mentioned Joe Manchin, which again, for lack of a better metaphor, is triggering his very name. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what we're going to do about that. But but uh, what? let me ask you a question. What, off the top of my head, because I don't know, what are West Virginia's gun laws? 
Uh, they're not great. Uh, there are high rates of gun ownership in, in West Virginia. But let me just say that the line that Senator Manchin has used about this issue uh -huh. is to say that when a responsible gun owner says that they behave in a responsible way, we have to believe them. Now, I don't know what world the senator lives in, but my understanding is that the last three mass shootings that we've had in this country, or at least the ones that have been most publicized, the Atlanta shooting, the Boulder shooting, um, the shooting in New York, that those individuals were all responsible gun owners until they pulled the trigger and began killing innocent people. My understanding is that individuals who commit suicide with a firearm are also responsible gun owners until they take their own life and devastate uh, the families and communities around them. So this notion that individuals are somehow born with a stamp that says responsible gun owner, not responsible gun owner, I mean, is frankly, I think, insulting to our intelligence yeah. um, as humans. Um, and so look, I hope uh, the Senator really hears from his constituents, really hears from survivors across the country that um, we just need a better balance in this country between gun rights and community safety. Because if, if the argument is 40,000 gun deaths a year is the price we pay for the Second Amendment, uh, I think a lot of Americans would have something to say about that. Yeah, and I, and I doubt very seriously that's what the framers had in mind. Yeah. No way. And we know they didn't. Right, right. Um, I mean, if that was going on at the time the Second Amendment was being passed or, or was being considered, um, that would have wiped out most of the population in this fledgling nation. So yeah. no, no, that's clearly not what they meant. And you're right, we know what they meant. We know what it was. And just like the filibuster, just like the Electoral College, it, it is the Second Amendment is um, a statute that, that literally harkens back to slavery and was a check on enslaved people engaging in insurrections. That's why they wanted to keep those guns. And, and that's well, well documented. So. Uh, GunsDownAmerica.org. Folks, please get involved. Please be safe out there. Our friend Igor Volsky, we're always happy to have him join us. Thank you, Igor. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.